Warning, this episode contains foul language, very cool science, empty threats, and fat beats. Hi, weirdos. You are listening to Keep It Weird, the podcast for all things strange and unusual, your one-stop shop for ghosts and aliens, monsters and mayhem, psychos and psychics, and one of our all-time favorite subjects, science. Chit, 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 check it out. This week is one of our favorite segments where I get to sit down with one of your all-time favorite guests and discuss what's going on today in the scientific world. We're going to cover biology, psychology, sociology, ecology, all of the ologies as we look at studies, breakthroughs, and discoveries we've had on Earth, in space, and beyond. Things we should get excited about, things we can be fascinated by, and maybe most importantly, things we may have to start to fear. So grab your microscope and some clean beakers, put on your protective eye gear, and get ready to be riggedy riggedy wrecked. My name is Ashley, and welcome to the Keep It Weird stage, DJ Jazzy Joe! Hey everybody, how you doing? Uh, hi, hello. Hi, you're gonna have uh, quite a bit of audio editing to do on that last little bit right there, just to um, make sure we don't rupture any eardrums. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah, I I got real DJ Clue there for a second. Shoutouts to DJ Clue, one of the uh, more famous DJs of the late '90s, early aughts, who just loved to say his name on other people's songs. Yeah, like, DJ Clue, DJ Clue, like DJ Khaled. Yeah, that's the only one I know. Yeah. DJ, well, DJ Jazzy Jeff, obviously, which we stole yeah. uh, our inspiration from. Ashley, Ashley was frozen in 1994, so. Hey, Joe. Hey, how's it going? Good. How are you? I'm, I'm fantastic. What a weird day. I mean, day. that's a lie, but, you know, it's radio, <laughs> so fake it till you make it. I'm awesome. I'm great. Awesome. I'm great. Lots I've of energy. Really excited. You know, just just positive vibes all around. Yeah, positive vibes, positive vibes here too. Yeah. Um, for anyone who's never listened to a DJ Jazzy Joe episode, uh, we're essentially it's sort of like a what's in the news in terms of science, and um, we each pick some really fascinating studies and stuff, or news, or SpaceX launches, or whatever the brick is going on. Just whatever's in the whatever's world. happening. That's we all. Sip our Croix. Yeah. Ooh. Pause for Croix. Pause for Croix. Hold for Croix. One of the new flavors. Um. This episode is brought to you by Black Raspberry. It's Raz, so good. Spelled like jazz. It's so good. Rasma jazz. I love it. Kind of tastes like cotton candy a it little bit. It does kind of taste like cotton candy. Yeah. Actually, I didn't think of that. In a good way. Not in like, not in like a, a sickly sweet way. Yeah. Yeah. Not in like a well. Now I have diabetes kind of way. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. In a good way. I don't think we have any like old business, new business. Obviously, we we uh, missed last week because Joey and I have been spending extra time with our little goober. Yeah, just just time to kind of circle the wagons and do a little family time. Yeah, so uh, we didn't really have an episode last week, but um, not really any 
new business. So then, yeah, let's just get right into the science. Joey, let's what do you right have in. first? All right. Well, we're, we're, uh, we're doing a little marine biology Fucking first. One of my personal favorite areas to cover. Shout always, out to always Mel. Fun. Shout out to our good friend Mel and uh, a loyal listener of this wonderful program of yep. yours, Ashley Cassidy. Oh, and before I begin, really quickly, I'm about to toss out the name of a uh, of a Swedish city. Mm. And I really love leaning into trying to get as close to the pronunciations as I possibly can. Yes. So before I begin, I will say if you are Swedish, be be it of, of Swedish descent or if you happen to live in Sweden or if you're an expat living abroad, if you're Danish, but you know Swedish, whatever Give me some notes on this pronunciation. <laughs> if you're a chef on the yeah. Muppet Show. So first I'm going to say the name of the research facility. I okay. know this is quite a preamble to the first story, but I'm going to say the name of the research facility and then you'll really hear me lean into how I think a Swede would pronounce the name of this city. I can't wait. Okay? Yep. All right. Well, for the first time in recorded scientific history, researchers at the Christineberg Marine Research Station in Fiskebekskil. Sweden recently <laughs> hold for laughter pause for laughter hold on let him laugh all right and we're back in so at this particular research facility they discovered urchins attacking and eating predatory sea stars which might not sound like much to you and I because we're not marine biologists for sure but, here's but Mel the thing. is this just is, rolling around in her seat right now th- this thinking, is one of wow, those wow, wow. <laughs> This is one of those prime <laughs> examples of a predator-prey role reversal. Love it. The old switcheroo. The old switcheroo. The student becomes the teacher. <laughs> While studying common sun stars, marine biologist and behavioral ecologist Jeff Clements and his team wanted to isolate one of the sun stars for a brief period of time, and they needed aquarium space, which they did not have. <laughs> so, it, thinking on his feet, Mr. Clements placed the starfish in a tank with approximately 80 sea urchins, knowing that nobody on the team thought anything of it. Given the sun star's role as a natural predator to the urchin, it was assumed that this would be totally kosher, despite the fact that the urchins had allegedly also not eaten in two weeks. Yikes. However, at the same time, um, it's understandable. Sea urchins are supposed to be vegetarians. Supposed to be. Yeah, well, they're they're essentially the ocean's lawnmowers. They have this insatiable vegetarian diet. They roam the seafloor. They consume just preposterous quantities of kelp and things Algae like that. Algae and yep. stuff like that. Yeah. So they put the sea, the sun star into this tank. On the opposite end of the tank, yes. Okay. Thinking. Yes. It will be fine. It'll because be fine. Even though it's a natural predator, it's outnumbered 80 to 1. It's going to be in this tank for a brief period of time. Uh, okay. Like, I didn't know we if have, they were we like, we don't care we if it to eats our urchins. This one sun okay. star okay. for a brief sense. period of time. Yeah. Well, uh, the next day when Jeff Clements and his team arrived in the lab, they couldn't find the sun star anywhere. Oh, shit. I mean, they sure, they noticed that pile of sea urchins on the side of the tank, but no sun star. Just a pile of sea urchins and, oh, something red underneath that pile. Oh, my God. <laughs> The sea star was absolutely decimated, noted Clements. The urchins had completely ripped it apart. Shortly thereafter, Clements and his team realized that this behavior had never before been documented. So they decided to recreate the process with intent this time, administering two separate studies in which a single sun star was placed in a tank with a whole mess of sea urchins. Oh, shit. 
Well, the biologist watched as one urchin would approach the sun star, feeling around, before eventually attaching to one of the sun star's many arms. Other urchins would soon join in, eventually covering the sun star's arms. After an hour, the team removed the urchins from the starfish, revealing that all of the arm tips had been chewed off, along with the eyes and other sensory organs located there. Jesus. Yeah, so this is also an instance of a starfish's anatomy not doing it many favors, <laughs> given that these organ-yielding appendages are the first points of contact for the urchins, they're the first things to go. Which means that the starfish then has a near impossible task of attempting to escape. Even if it were in like... the wild and were not confined to a tank, once once suddenly the appendages start, start going, it's just a matter of time. Are these just like really ballsy urchins? Uh, yeah, I got that safety in numbers, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, we them boys. <laughs> we them boys. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, so the t- the team has since coined the maneuver urchin pinning. Which nice. sounds like a sex thing. It does sound like it belongs in last month's episodes. <laughs> it's a sex thing. Ur- you've never urchin pinned? You've never urchin pinned? Wow. Never been to Berlin. <laughs> um, so uh, so this is not the first time that uh, urchin preying on starfish has ever been hinted at. Starfish remains have turned up in the digestive system of, dis- of dissected sea urchins before. Uh-huh. But it's the first time active predation on a group level has been observed and documented. Okay. So it's something that, like, it's not, like, completely foreign, but it is something that's, like, we've never seen it happen. Yes, exactly. We have we have known that urchins have dined on starfish, but we've never seen active predation in process before. Yeah, kind of like how eels reproduce. We talked about this on a bonus episode once, where, like, the common eel, we know that it swims out to sea, and we know that it goes somewhere around the Bermuda Triangle, and we assume that it produces like other eels do where they swim around each other and the female releases the eggs and the male releases the sperm and they just sort of mix together and then whatever, whatever. But we've never, ever, for, ever for witnessed it. For many, many, many species of eel, of saltwater eel uh, breeding has never been Never. Recorded. And they do not. They Same own, thing with blue whales. Yeah. They, well, they do not breed in captivity at all. Like, oh, they yeah. won't breed in captivity. Even when they get to the age and their sexual organs are, are developing, they don't breed. It's like a, so, marine, bi- it's like a marine biology hunger strike. It's like yeah, we we it's jail like, them and they're like, well, then I'm not eating. Well, then I'm not fucking. Well, then you're going to have a dead body on your hands. <laughs> so anyway, so as anyway. I was saying, mm-hmm. so what's left to be determined at this point are the following questions. Was the two-week hiatus in feeding these urchins a contributing cause to the behavior, and if so, to what extent? Was this a coordinated response to the recognition of a threat, even though, you know, the odds were one to eighty, did the urchins realize, hey, this is one of those this is one of those guys that likes to eat us. Yeah. Let's get him. So there's there's you know, is this something that actually also happens in the wild? Or is this a captivity only kind of thing? So urchin in large enough numbers are capable of decimating kelp forests. Uh, reducing them to nothing, it creates a thing called urchin barrens. So if these urchins are also capable of sustaining themselves on the animals that are left behind in the barrens, it would keep their numbers very inflated, very, very high, mm-hmm. which would lead to even greater kelp decimation, delaying the recovery of the areas already afflicted. So this does have like potentially serious ecological repercussions, especially yeah. if this is a somewhat newer evolutionary response. Yeah, especially 
especially if all of a sudden all these urchins are getting some wacky ideas in their head about eating their yeah. their predators. Yeah, yeah. that's gonna and throw it's like, off. Oh the yeah, balance. we decimate kelp forests, and then uh, nothing can nothing. And takes then we us don't die now. out when the kelp dies out because we just start eating other stuff. It's like, mm-hmm. what do you think you are, people? You can't <laughs> yeah. adapt like that. Can't that's not this. fair. What are you, the people of the planet. ocean? This is our planet. So uh, there's still a lot to learn about the prey to predator role reversal, For according sure. to uh, Megan Detier, who is a marine ecologist at the University of Washington Harbor Laboratories. Um, this behavior has not yet been documented in the wild, not even in ur- not even in an urchin barren. But urchins themselves don't have a brain or a central nervous system, which means that coordinated intentional attacks are literally biologically impossible. Right. So what's going on? Yeah. Yeah. Is it, is it, uh, are these synchronized attacks based on the chemical consequences of like one urchin starting to attack and starting to feed on an appendage and then mm-hmm. the smell gets in the water and everybody else is like, mm, food, like y'all better get some of this. Or is it like, uh, is it silkworms that, um, like if you teach a silkworm something and then grind it up and feed it to another one? That silkworm will like Nose be able the... to finish it faster, or oh, like see, I've never even heard that. Oh, okay. Well, then is it like crows, where like generationally they have the same memories as their man? That's a good question. Like one urchin ate a starfish and was like, "That's fucking delicious," and then it reproduced, and its kids were like, "I have a taste for starfish," Maybe. and then they reproduced, and Maybe. they were like, "I have a taste for." Starfish. I do think that the releasing of the the smells of like fresh food in the water in an enclosed tank. Probably pretty likely too. Yeah, yeah, but who knows? But like, what gave that first urchin that wacky idea yeah. to go eat that guy's arm? I know, right? So, so regardless of how or why, the findings represent at least a great reminder that something as seemingly simple as a sea urchin can turn out to be remarkably complex. Remarkably complex. Pretty interesting stuff. Yeah, it is, especially since, like you said. Sea urchins are just little spiky things. Just little spiky guys. No brains, no central nervous system, nope. just sort of wee, 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 wee. that's just, what just I imagine there. they'd sound just, like. Just existing until they don't. Yeah. Existing and feeding and breeding for a brief period of time until it's dead. Yeah. Yep. Just like all of us. Would it be horrible <laughs> if we lost them? I don't know. Sea urchins, I don't know what the uh what the domino effect. I mean, there is a domino effect. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Who knows? Hey, if it doesn't affect humans, I don't care. Who gives a shit? That's how I feel. What, the coral reef's going to be gone? Then it's a non-issue. When? I'm a modern American man. What do we need a coral reef for? Just kidding. We need to breathe. I don't even like the Caribbean. (laughs) Right? I only like the ride at Disney. Yeah, exactly. The you pirate know what I one. like? My hometown. That's what <laughs> I hometown. like. My hometown. Yep. I never want to leave. little ditty about Jack and Diane. That's what I like. <laughs> so anyway, you have a story. Oh, I have so many stories. Tell me one of them. Something I've always been interested in, and especially so after watching the miniseries on HBO, Chernobyl. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh yeah. Oh, buddy. Chernobyl, the feel-good. Summer hit. The, the feel-good miniseries <laughs> of twenty of 2019. Uh, it was graphic and horrifying. And it, was, it was absolutely it was devastating really and brilliant. Mm-hmm. I'm sure you all know, but just in case anyone doesn't, there was a deadly meltdown of a nuclear plant in Chernobyl in 1986. It was a perfect storm of the world's most hazardous materials, unsafe work conditions, and the Soviet Union's not-so-awesome leadership that led to 134 staff members and firemen being hospitalized with acute radiation syndrome. 
28 of which died in the days to months afterward, an additional 14 suspected radiation-induced cancer deaths followed in the next 10 years. There have also been 15 or so cases of childhood thyroid cancer they believe to be connected, and overall they believe that combined with the decades ahead of us, the death toll will be around 4,000 if you're looking at the three most contaminated Soviet states and potentially nine to 16,000 fatalities when you assess the total continent of Europe. Yeah, I mean, not to mention the fact <sighs> that, I mean, it forced the, I mean, Chernobyl was a pretty populous city. I mean, let's see, yeah. I'm, I'm yeah. Gonna, I want to I find this out. How many people were Lived in, in Chernobyl? Chernobyl. Okay, so at in 1986, there mm. were about 12,000 people yeah. who lived in Chernobyl. I mean, big city it is not, but it's it's a village mm-hmm. and it doesn't exist anymore. Yeah. The buildings do, yeah. and it's one of the most, I mean, this is preaching to the choir for, I guarantee, 99.999% of the people listening. Just in case but for the one. two people listening who don't know much about this, this is kind of uh, like the, the prime example on Earth of watching the planet take over the ruins of civilization it's pretty fascinating Mm -hmm. to watch how nature has reclaimed chernobyl over the last 35 years and adapted to a radioactive yeah in spite of the fact that it is just laced with radiation (laughs) well to reduce the spread of radioactive contamination from the wreckage in 1986 the chernobyl nuclear power plant sarcophagus was built over the plant And then in 2017, it was further enclosed by the Chernobyl New Safe Confinement, which should allow for the removal of reactor debris while also containing the radioactive hazard. And the nuclear cleanup is scheduled for completion in 2065. So it is a very wild story. Highly recommend the miniseries if you want to watch it play out in a storyline. Yeah, in real time in a dramatic recreation with brilliant actors. Well, we have potentially unfortunate Fortunate news coming out of Chernobyl. Uh oh. Tons of nuclear fuel in the plant's basement has started to react again, and it's showing no sign of stopping. Oof. Researchers have obviously been closely monitoring the plant over the last four decades, and they have detected a steady spike in the number of neutrons in an underground room called <clears throat> 305 2. The room is full of heavy rubble on top of a radioactive mishmash of uranium, zirconium, graphite, and sand that oozed into the basement like lava before hardening into what is known as fuel-containing materials, or FCMs. And the rising neutron levels indicate that these FCMs are undergoing new fission reactions as neutrons strike and split the nuclei of uranium atoms, which creates energy. Oof. Oof. Bad. Bad, bad, bad. Walter Matthau, bad news bears. (laughs) For now, the radioactive waste is just smoldering like embers in a barbecue pit, but if they are left undisturbed for too long, the embers could fully ignite and explode once again. The potential explosion won't be anywhere near, or at least shouldn't be anywhere near, the original explosion in 1986 because it should be largely contained within the shelter that they built around it. Uh, but it would end up making the long-term mission of removing the material a lot more difficult. I can imagine, yeah. Basically, the levels have been rising for four years now and could continue to rise for several more before a big incident occurs. It could fizzle out on its own, which would be super tight. 
But if not, scientists will have to intervene, which would be next to impossible, seeing as we still don't know how to get in there because radiation levels are too high for humans to endure. Even with every single piece of technology we have built for people to wear to protect themselves from radiation, we do not have what we need to well, send a person Here's in the good news. Um, Russia has uh, an incredibly transparent government that always puts the needs of its people <laughs> at the forefront of everything it does. True. Glorious be the People's Republic of, yeah. of Russia. So Glo we should be glory, glory to our exalted, timeless, ageless, all-knowing leader, Vladimir Putin. Mr. His, Putin, his, his infinite best wisdom. Best hockey player in Russia. Greatest hockey player who ever lived. Mm -hmm. Greatest leader who ever lived. All hail. Glory be. Vladimir Putin. We do have listeners in Russia. Um, please don't tell him that we said any of this or do because we could use a friend. So, <laughs> if Vladdy, 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 my Vladdy, man, buddy. Actually, I'm going to be completely honest Skip. with you. I'm I'm just now realizing uh, Chernobyl's not in Russia. Chernobyl's in the Ukraine. So um, that whole joke was wasted. Who? Great job. Knew? Great job, Joe. <laughs> Great I didn't job. know. This is what happens when you grew up in the early days of democratic Russia and you were still learning with 1980s maps. I'm like, and this is the Soviet Union. I mean, Russia. That was every teacher I had in elementary school. They'd be like, in the Soviet Union, in Russia. So, so I'm just going to go ahead and blame, blame the teachers. Yeah, I'm going to blame everybody but myself. For sure. That's, for sure. That's, that's in vogue. I didn't correct you because I didn't know. Nope. By September of this year, Ukraine, oops, hopes. Yep, there it is. <laughs> By September of this year, Ukraine hopes to present a detailed plan for the removal of this material. So far, their best idea is to send in radiation-resistant robots that may be able to drill through rubble and install neutron-absorbing control rods in the room. Okay. So, fingers crossed. Yeah. Good luck, hey, boys. Good luck, Ukraine. Yeah. Good luck, guys. Best of luck to you. <laughs> you and your family. <sighs> Fucking hell. Glory. Godspeed. It's already so dangerous to send yeah. anyone into Chernobyl yeah. and to be like, like oh, who wants also, to be a martyr? Yeah, also, which is exactly what happened when I it know. first. I know. When it who, first, who wants happened, to make sure like, that their families are taken care of forever, and you will die a hero to the Soviet Union? And people were Line like, up. "All right, I'll do it." Fine. Yeah. So anyway, I got more mm. stuff to talk about. Good. Do you have a, a, a picker upper? Maybe I do. <laughs> okay, a well-timed picker upper. All right. So at this point, lots of folks have at least heard one of their more, quote unquote, drug friendly friends mm -hmm. allude to the medicinal and psychological benefits of at least dipping one's toe into the psychedelic or psilocybin pool. Yeah. Right. It's not just a groovy thing to do when you want to listen to Pink Floyd and spend an hour staring at a street lamp <laughs> memorized by its simple beauty. And how frequently you take things like this for granted. Not that I speak from any kind of personal experience no, of course on that not. Of course or anything not. like that. So it can be Just hard dreams. to take that kind of advice from a friend whose employment is spotty and whose <laughs> hygiene is questionable and whose vacation calendar is based exclusively around Burning Man. And who has one of those fuzzy velvet posters, black yep. light posters in their bedroom. Uh, shag carpeting. Yep. 
hard it, to... Yeah, sh- or just like shag carpeting in their closet. And it's like their special psychedelic closet. <laughs> their that is, special room. That was a friend of mine, by the way. But <laughs> so, it, so like I said, it can be kind of uh, difficult to take their word for it when they're like, actually, microdosing LSD is proven. You're like, all right, man. All right, okay. Ted. You, you smell like a foot. <laughs> um, but at the same time, Scientists have recently begun to grapple with what exactly LSD does to the brain, Mm -hmm. and they have found evidence that it really does blow open one's mind. So according to new research, psychedelic drugs put the brain into a state where it can flow more freely, unconstrained by prior beliefs of how the world is supposed to work. Okay. The findings also have implications for treating anxiety and depression. So according to Parker Singleton... This is a uh, doctoral candidate slash student at Cornell University. Big shout out to the Nard Dog and Broccoli Rob. The brain is like an engine that generates predictions about the world based on prior experiences. Mm -hmm. So as these experiences accumulate, the engine becomes more refined and efficient, increasingly capable of cutting through extraneous noise. But this happens at the cost of becoming more rigid and more likely to discard harder to classify experiences. Psychedelic drugs, the hypothesis surmises or suggests, unwind the influence of one's prior beliefs and the effects they have on the brain, which allows thoughts to flow more freely, unimpeded by past assumptions. As just one example, what our brain does on a daily basis is predict faces. You see them in a cloud. You see them in a piece of toast. That's one of the many ways that our brain can kind of fill in the gaps for us based on prior experience. Okay, does that make make sense? Totally. And I was also thinking, you know, uh, uh, our brain's past experiences like that dictate things like PTSD and loud noises automatically being associated with gunshots or bombs, bad things, bad. Not just, ooh, that's loud. It's panic. Yeah. Or, you know, even to take it into like a sociological thing like racism. Uh, because you can't, because you have, you have your experiences and they are fixed. They are fixed in you and you're so rigid that you cannot even step out of your own person and your own experiences. Yeah, you've been conditioned to have psychological and physiological Mm -hmm. responses to different sights and sounds and smells. Exactly. For sure. So to quote Mr. Singleton, when you're a child, your brain is very malleable. You don't have all of these models for your whole life yet. You're able to more continuously update your beliefs. At some point, those models harden. They become more difficult to shape. Under psychedelics, we open up a new window to do that. This, says Singleton, is the relaxed brain under psychedelics, or the rebus model that his team has set out to examine. Parallels to this can also be drawn to the Tufts University neuroscientist Eric Hole's quote, noisy brain hypothesis, Mm -hmm. which attempts to explain why we dream. According to Hole, the brain goes about constructing patterns from observations of the world the same way a prediction-generating AI does. And much like an AI, the brain can become overfitted, quote-unquote, too accustomed to the repetitive data set of a person's routines and proving less capable of adapting to new situations. Dreams exist basically to inject some much-needed noise to loosen up our systems, like offering a jolt to prepare them for unexpected scenarios. Can I step in real quick? Of course. Um, That actually is really interesting because that's just a theory that he has because dreams, we have no idea. Yep. But that is an interesting idea of people who dream things before they happen. Yeah. Because especially if it's something 
If it's something completely out of the ordinary, like the one I had about the spider in my car, like that might be an anomaly, but something where it's like you're in class and your friend said this thing and you're like, I had a dream last night when you said that thing. It's like your dreams are predicting. Your brain predicting the future based on its previous data set. Yeah. What are things that are likely to happen? You are likely to be in class. You are likely to be talking to this friend. Yeah. You are likely to bring up this conversation. And sometimes it, totally it throws makes you a real curveball. Yeah. Like Mitch Hedberg says, sometimes you have to build a go-kart yeah. with your ex landlord. Sometimes there's a spider in your car. Yeah. Ex- sometimes <laughs> your brain takes a real swing for the fences. <laughs> and maybe yeah. it gets it right. Okay, cool. Yeah. So to test the Rebus model, Singleton's team analyzed MRI brain scans taken from a 2016 Imperial College London study (gasps) of 20 healthy volunteers, (laughs) either on a placebo or on LSD. They saw that the volunteers' brains switched between four distinct states or activity patterns while they rested inside the scanner. Two of the states primarily involved the sensory parts of the brain, and the other two were more connected to the top-down, kind of analytical brain regions responsible for generating accurate pictures of the world. The researchers noticed that those who were tripping balls, however, were spending far longer in the sensory brain states than the analytical ones. Further comparison between the LSD brains and the placebo ones revealed an even more fascinating phenomenon. The LSD brains required far less energy to move from one brain state to the other. So according to Singleton, this is a quote, if you think of our neural connections as like a series of roads and highways, LSD doesn't change the roadways, but it does lower the energy you need to get from one part of it to the other. It flattens the energy landscape between different parts of the brain, bringing them closer together. Wow. Yeah. And then I've got some science here that I'm going to leave out because we're talking about like serotonin receptors, 5-HT2A oh, yeah, and stuff it gets like that. Oh, yeah, really, really Yeah, complex. pretty, pretty sciencey. Maybe not super radio friendly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the flattening of the brain basically enables regions that wouldn't usually talk to one another. Suddenly, they're in an open conversation with one another, which may be the cause of the childlike freshness or like, I feel like myself for the first time perspective that users of LSD often report. Right. So as familiar resemblances melt away and the boundaries between objects becomes blurred, users can find themselves fascinated by the foreign appearance of once unremarkable items like... Um, I don't know, the street lamps on the campus of Occidental College in the Eagle Rock neighborhood of Los Angeles, just as a totally totally random example, just Hmm. to pull something, no personal experience, just a totally random, we'll say mm, the kind of antique looking street lamps lining the Occidental College (laughs) campus in the Eagle Rock neighborhood of Los Angeles, California. Circa 2000. 17. Circa around 20. No, earlier than that. Just (laughs) theoretically speaking, earlier than that. I will say 2014, 2014, 2015. (laughs) Yeah, somewhere around there. So this profound shift in brain activity explains why psychiatrists have begun to consider integrating psychedelics into treatments for mental health disorders like PTSD, anxiety, depression. And Singleton once more says, quote, Our hypothesis is that in a diseased state, your brain is going to have higher energy hills and lower energy valleys. More so than a placebo, different parts of the brain can't talk to each other. 
That's why someone stuck in a negative pattern of thought could be having a hard time. In spite of any new evidence, they're not able to see that there are reasons to be happy. Psychedelic therapy could flatten out that energy landscape again and allow more information to come in. It could allow depressed or anxious people to update their models of the world. I wonder if it would have negative effects on someone who was getting the appropriate amount of serotonin and was did have uh, you know healthy thinking sure, patterns. Sure, would definitely and, something that would need to be tested in yeah. a controlled environment. If it would just make their life better or if it would be like oh what happened too much too much too much much fun there is such thing as too much fun and too much money so the next thing that this team is planning on using lsd to further map out Uh uh-huh different states of consciousness pretty cool yeah Yeah. so like i said it's not just your dirty smelly friend in the drug rug walking around playing bongos on venice beach Mm-hmm. Talking about the therapeutic benefits of LSD, some pretty smart people are starting to suggest that it might actually have yeah. some legitimate, honest-to-God therapeutic benefits. For sure. And mushrooms, too. Mushrooms uh Yeah, even more well. so, because those mm-hmm. are natural. non-synthetic. Yeah. yeah exactly. Uh, and the thing is, is I think so many people hear that, and they're like, I'm not gonna, there's no way I'll take drugs. And it's like... We're, we're talking about microdosing. Yeah, we're not talking about yeah. Sheet. We're not talking about people walking around getting. You won't even feel high. It's such a small dose that it affects your brain chemistry, but it doesn't get you high. Sort you'll of like how taking, I take Xanax. Yeah, you'll be taking like twenty <laughs> milligrams. Of, yeah, yeah. You know, it's like oh, I've got a totally manageable, small, so prescribable dose. Who could dose. like listen to that and still be like, it's a drug. It's yeah. like oh, yeah. just fucking die, you old shit. Just get out of the way. <laughs> just get. Just out Get out of the fucking road. We are trying to build a utopia. Get out of the fucking road. Okay? You fuck this up. Get out of the fucking way. Yeah. Let us have this. You had your fun. You had your you your home. You could afford yep. your college. You could afford. Yep. And you know, and you get to enjoy job. your social security. So congratulations. You, you were born it. at the greatest fucking time in the best place in history. Uh-huh. Just take the fucking spoils of your good fortune and fuck off. Yeah. And Go let away. Us let us try to carve out our own fucking life. Which is going to be 24-7. Which party is going to be a bunch time. of, just a bunch of pansexual, transgendered, <laughs> just, you know, fluid, pierced, fluid, tattooed, polyamorous, pierced, drug user, vaguely, you know, like olivey brown skin color. Hell yeah. All the lights will We're be neon. We're just going to do all the things that your. Your your deepest, darkest secret is that while you were masquerading as a hippie, you were actually a fucking racist. And now you're just a just a just an old, scared fucking asshole who needs to get out of the way. Get out. Of get out of the fucking of way. The way. Well, I was um. so I this is actually the story I was going to cut. Um, so I'm not going to do the whole thing, but I, I wanted to because it was a dream study that recently happened and it just had really interesting results, but it didn't really answer any questions, which is why I was going to cut this part out of it. But I thought since you brought up dreams, I'll just tell you what this study found because I think it's interesting. Tell me about the study. Tell me about Why are we whispering? So basically they did this study and the study showed that the contents of dreams change depending on the stage of sleep that they occur in. 
which is something we had never studied mm. before. Okay. So uh, essentially participants are awoken at four predetermined points during sleep and they record their dreams. And they also recorded their waking life activities and emotions in detail in order to sort of compare them to the dreams that they were having, sure. et cetera, et cetera. So late night dreams were more intense, emotional, and personally important. They also tended to be more bizarre, abstract, and metaphorical than early night dreams. They featured more episodes from the distant past as opposed to more recent events. So what essentially we're learning from this is that dreams do seem to be closely associated with memory, which makes a ton of sense. But like I said, we don't know shit about the why or how of dreams. So like everything is a theory. So early night sleep and like nap time sleep um, was more, the dreams were more, more like episodic memories from the recent past. Um, like for example, like I'm sitting at my current job. Yeah. Or and, like, yeah. have you ever had those early morning sleeps? Like when you hit snooze and fall back asleep and then you dream about like getting up and brushing your teeth and getting ready for work. And then your alarm goes off and you're Honestly, like, what? I have to never. do this all over again. Never. Oh gosh. It's the worst. And now I'm late. So I have to do this all <laughs> over again. And now I'm stressed. Yeah. Yeah. Sounds awesome. So according to the researchers that late night REM sleep may help embed individual memories within a greater network of memories through hyperlinks. Um, and like you can record this yourself. Like if you keep a dream journal, you can kind of huh. figure out basically like you can unlock memories with REM sleep dreams. Uh, for example, I just uh, reactivated my Facebook like a week ago just because I had been missing a whole bunch of friends having babies and shit and I wanted to catch up with everyone. And all week, my dreams have been featuring friends from high school because of names that I've seen. Uh, there was one dream where I pr- I was in Mayfade again, which is that coronation my town had. Yeah. And all my dreams have been people I haven't seen in years and events that happened so long ago because for whatever reason, that's been triggered. But my naps, like the other day when I had a nap and I woke up and I dreamed that my teeth fell out, my bridge fell out. Yeah. So that's a recent event thing because okay. it was just a nap. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Interesting. Yeah. So, anyways, that's that. I'm Poltergeist, and I make inappropriate songs about horror movies. So basically, I just came to see some naked D's and A's for free. Take a peek, take a key. Twelve cabins, twelve vacancies, twelve bodies, mother pray for me. I might go psycho occasionally. One body, too many pray for me, because we all go a little mad sometimes. No happy ever rapper, just chapter after chapter after chapter. Massacre, make the ripper look like an on youtube at poltergeist od follow me on instagram and the slasher app at poltergeist underscore od okay my next story is really cool but also the beginning of a major sci-fi horror movie Uh don't like that so nasa is preparing to launch about 5,000 tardigrades and 128 glow-in-the-dark baby squid into space whoa okay pardon me Excuse me? It's actually not as crazy as I just made it out to be. But that was the headline. So I went, huh? 
this is what's happening. For anyone who doesn't know, actually, a tardigrade are those little tiny organisms. They're microscopic and they're known as water bears because yeah. they look like tiny little bears yeah. going around. They can survive the vacuum of space. Yes, yeah. exactly. So the animals are heading to the International Space Station on June 3rd. So when this comes out, it'll be yesterday. Oh, boy. As they're there. part of SpaceX 22nd cargo resupply mission. And like Joe was saying, um, tardigrades are kind of insane. They're capable of surviving extreme radiation. They can survive pressures six times those found in the deepest part of our ocean. Yeah. They can survive uh, in the total vacuum of space as they, well. And they live like on like frozen asteroids yeah. hurtling through the galaxy and they're just basically like hibernating, waiting to land wherever they land. Exactly. And in case you're like me sitting here like, hey, like, don't send them into space. We have no idea what they could grow into. It's far too late because in April of 2019, an Israeli spacecraft crashed into the moon during a failed landing attempt, and it was carrying thousands of dehydrated tardigrades. Yeah. And uh, scientists are pretty positive they not only survive the trip, but will also be able to resuscitate themselves if they haven't already. So that's fine. I'm not terrified. I sleep just fine at night. Thanks hey, for they're asking. Not, they're not going to turn into some sentient, vicious army that can survive in the vacuum of space for many, 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 <laughs> many, 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 many generations. For sure. Like, I'm not scared they for will. myself. They will. That will happen. I'm scared They will come back here and enslave great, us all. great, 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 great grandchildren who are going to be ruled by yep. monster by water bears. So, okay, they're indestructible. That's why they were ch the chosen creature to go. But why send them to the space station? Good question. Astronauts are hoping to study them and attempt to identify the specific genes responsible for their amazing feats of adaptation in high-stress environments. And we're already doing this on Earth. We've already been studying them for many years on Earth. But on the space station, these studies should give us some pretty cool insights into the health impacts of long-duration space travel. Mm. They want to examine the molecular biology of the water bears to look for signs of any immediate and long-term adaptations to life in low Earth orbit. And that's an area that subjects our astronauts to the rigors of zero gravity and increased radiation exposure. That's, all, that's like the most dangerous place right. for them to be. So basically, when these little buggies arrive frozen and are thawed out, we should be able to study them and get some you know, cool insights we can use for future therapies that could help protect our astronauts' health during prolonged space missions. And these little guys may end up being the creatures that lead us to discovering things you see in sci-fi movies like cryogenics and cryosleep. Mm. Which is awesome. Yeah. Now, the little squid babies, these little boys have special light-producing organs in their bodies where the bioluminescent bacteria give the squids their glow. Right. Which is just like the algae and everything. It's a bacteria that they, they use. And the squid are actually born without the bacteria. They acquire it from the ocean around them. So that's why they're sending babies. They don't have the bacteria yet, but they're going to introduce the bacteria to the squid as soon as the animals get thawed out on the space station. So they're hoping to investigate the relationship between the bacteria and the squid to see how the microbes interact with animal tissue in space. And this is going to help them determine which genes the squid turns on and off to accomplish this feat, and if it's different than what they do on Earth. Wow. And knowing this could help humans better understand their gut and their immune system microbiomes across long-distance space journeys. 
So it turns out this probably won't turn into a literal space nightmare, luckily. The more we understand about the human body in extreme conditions like space and zero gravity, we're going to end up understanding more about our bodies here too. And I would love to know more about my gut and why it's always making funny sounds. And Joe would love to know why he's always farting. So good luck, boys. Why am I always farting? Good luck, boys. It doesn't matter what I eat. It doesn't matter what I do. I eat a lot. I fart. I don't eat a lot. I fart. I eat fruits and vegetables. I fart. I eat junk food. I fart. I eat cheeseburgers. You guessed it. I fart. <laughs> you guessed it. I keep farting. It doesn't matter. Wow. You want to go for the big kahuna, baby? Well, from one space story to another, we'll call this segment UFOs and a very unscientific gut reaction from the science bro. <laughs> so unless you live under a rock, which you might, in which case I apologize. Sorry for being insensitive to your living situation. I apologize to those of us who live under rocks. I promise to be better, including you rock folk. You know about the huge tonal shift lately from the U.S. government and the Department of Defense regarding UFO sightings. Yeah. In about a year's time, we have gone from talking about UFOs as though they were real makes you a crazy person to, oh, yeah, we see UFOs every day and we always have. That's been the shift in tone over the course of this last year. That's like the equivalent of going from uh, I've never met your mom to just kidding, I'm your dad. (laughs) Just kidding. Uh, <laughs> Just kidding. Not only have I met your mom, I impregnated her with you. Yeah. I'm, your, I'm father. your father. Yeah, that's the, that's the jump. It's true. It's so abrupt how quickly they were like, just kidding. Uh, hey. Also, we have so, spacecraft from so other planets. Also, um, Jesus Christ. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it is important, just like right off the bat. It's important to distinguish the difference between UFOs and aliens. For sure. A UFO does mm-hmm. not necessarily make an alien it does not even necessarily mean that it's not of this world or even that it's from space but with recent disclosures showing aerial craft descending eighty thousand feet in one second before vanishing from radar or flying through the air defying the laws of physics and then splashing down in the water and disappearing because apparently they can travel through water and uh, all submarines in the area lose track of it. It's just, we can at least put to rest the idea that these are crafts created by humans in this time. Yes. Or on yeah, this timeline. Absolutely. If you want to get all event horizon with it and say that it's us from the future, more power to you. You're entitled to that opinion. Um, but these are not, this isn't like a dude who was born in 1971 is flying this thing around. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, exactly. Okay, this is otherworldly. This is either aliens or this is like multi-dimensional trans-dimensional time travel shit here okay yeah i mean just talk to any 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 american soldier of any rank who is familiar with americans technology and then all other militaries around the it's world it's not even like we oh, oh this is the next the best step. technology yeah it's not like Period. this is one or two steps ahead of where the planet no, is no, at no, no, it's no. like this is, this is like light years ahead you have to understand speaking. gravity yes. to make these not of this world. and we don't yeah not of this world for sure uh, now, there are a billion articles that have come out in the last few months on the subject. So rather than dictate what's going on here, I wanted to instead share with the listeners the various ways that this all makes me feel. Oh, yeah, I love it. Given my near 30-year fascination with this subject. Yeah, you've been very excited lately. Every yeah. once in a while, we'll be sitting on the couch and Joe will look over at me and be like, hey, babe, and I'll be like, what? And he'll be like, 
Aliens are real. So, so aliens are real. <laughs> yeah. Like I know. Isn't it so, exciting? So as I have uh, recounted on this show, uh, UFOs and aliens have been, without a doubt, my personal deepest interest into all things unknown. So basically, like, everything, I know that your show is weird, it's not unknown, but in the entire compendium of everything that your show covers, Ashley Cassidy, Mm -hmm. this is my shit. This is where the Venn diagram of who I am as a person and where your show is overlap the heaviest. I love it. I was taking UFO books home from the school book fair in second grade. For sure. I was reading about Roswell and the Men in Black at the same time I was learning three times two. Like, I'm not even exaggerating. This has been a lifelong thing for me. So needless to say, this is a very exciting and gratifying and vindicating time for me. Vindicating is huge. Yes. I've never really cared when someone didn't share my beliefs because, you know, I'm smarter than most people I know, I think. (laughs) And and I I, I stand, I'm maybe not smarter than most people I know. I'm smarter than most people I come across. Um, and I'm capable of standing on my own two legs. So if somebody was like, it's crazy, you believe in aliens, I'd be like, I believe in some crazy shit. That's fine. Yeah. I don't mind that you don't, that you think I'm crazy, but it feels really good to have my uber pragmatic, measured, cynical, skeptical, brilliant engineer friend tell me these are aliens were fucked. That's like, cause this is the kind of person who's like, no, that's bullshit. I'd be like, hey, did you know? He'd be like, that's not true. Like the time we went to the The, Salem. We went to like the the cemetery in Salem. Yeah. And he was talking about how the witch trials were basically just a front. It was just a land grab from the richest people in town trying to consolidate power and land and wealth. So they drummed up the whole idea that they were witches because it was the most likely thing that the dumb people who lived in Salem would latch onto. Uh And they were right. And it worked perfectly. Yeah. So, So when this guy's like, those are aliens. (laughs) <laughs> this is this, and he's I, he shall remain nameless. He is an engineer. Just trust me, he's smart. Okay? He's not, and he's, he's not like a civil smart. engineer. Nothing against civil engineers, but his job is to work for a massive, massive, well-known defense contract. And firm. that's all we can say, okay, guys. That's all we're gonna say. That's all we can say about it. And he is like, they're real. Not because he knows, but because he, with his uber pragmatic genius at math brain, is watching the videos and go is goes. That's not that's not man made. So that feels good. But I don't necessarily share his prognosis that you know we're fucked. But at least not for the same reasons. Mm-hmm. We'll come back to that. Okay. So how do I feel? Number one, I feel confident and I feel safe in their <laughs> motives. Allow me to elaborate. I'm with you. People are understandably nervous about this stuff. Watching these craft maneuver in ways that completely dominate and disregard our known laws of physics has lots of folks uh, pretty terrified, especially war hawks in Congress and the Defense Department. So knowing that their technological capability outpaces ours seemingly by millennia means that any ideas of American pilots dogfighting UFO craft like this is fucking Independence Day are about as far-fetched as me being able to sit through an entire episode of 90 Day Fiancé. It's impossible. I've tried so many times. I've tried probably 85 times because that's probably how many episodes I've watched. Has not happened yet. But I'll keep trying. It just beats my soul <laughs> to the point where my soul goes, I can't do this anymore. Abort. This episode is so, sponsored by 90, 90 Day, Day Fiance. Fiance. 
if you hate yourself, watch 90 Day Fiance. Watch 90 Day Fiance. So why do I feel good about them being here? Well, two big reasons. First of all, it's important to remember that these new disclosures ahead of the Pentagon's alleged June UFO report. I don't think it's coming. But it's supposed to come today. Yeah. I, I'm not going to hold my Believe breath. it when I see it. Yeah, I, for It's sure, not for like sure. the Pentagon is like, well, we have to play by the rules that... <laughs> We have to play by that the we've rules always that these by. totally inept, impotent congressional officials tell us we have to. It's like they're they're temporary employees. We've sure. covered this on this show before. Yeah. Pentagon doesn't have to do shit. No. Good luck making them do fucking anything. So, like I said, it's important to remember because we're hearing everything is UFOs now. UFOs, UFOs, UFOs. Yeah. It's on the Today Show. It's on. It's mm-hmm. everywhere. So if you're hearing this and you're a little uneasy about this, remember. It's not like they're coming around more frequently than they used to. Mm-mm. They're coming around the same amount that well, they always have. Well, these videos that are being released, like they're being released right now, which is exciting, but they're, like but they're from 2017, old. 2015, 2019. Yeah. So just remember, these are disclosures. This is just the first time that the people in charge are being honest with us about mm-hmm. this stuff. So it doesn't mean more little green men, just that for one reason or another, the government has decided it'll stop treating us like a college boyfriend who tells us we're crazy when we find a bunch of nudes on their phone. (laughs) You know what I mean? It's like, you're crazy. Do you hear yourself? You're crazy. This is for art class. You didn't know I took an art class this semester? Yeah. So that's basically what they've been doing (laughs) to us since 1947. Yeah. I'm taking a life forms class. So countless officials, both retired and active within the intelligence communities, Department of Defense, military, they have all basically said, we see them every day. We've always seen them every day. They have been coming here constantly since Roswell and possibly even earlier. Also, sorry, I lied to you. Just kidding. Not even. They didn't apologize not even. for that. No, not even. It's like, yep, I lied. Do something. <laughs> what are you going to do about it? Uh, and you were like, I'm not going to do anything. I'm going to take anything. it like I always I'm do. I'm going to go eat my apple jacks. Yeah. No, I'm not going to do anything. I'm going to go drink my Capri Sun under the slide and hide. <laughs> um, so that leads me to the second reason that I feel fine about UFOs being here. They've been coming here for decades, possibly mm-hmm. for millennia. And guess what? We're still here. We're still here. At it's any fine. point in time from the first modern humans until this sentence, they could have wiped us off the face of the earth without breaking a sweat. And they haven't. It is obvious that we serve some sort of purpose to them, even if it's purely scientific, like a team of scientists heading into the rainforest to study a rare reclusive breed of something. You know, it could just be for scientific purposes, but they, they're not they're not here to destroy us. Yeah, they're not. Furthermore, there are countless fucking countless declassified reports both American and former Soviet, which document instances in which UFO sightings around and above nuclear missile silos immediately precipitate a full system's failure on the launch pad, which means that those stationed at these said silos lose any and all ability to control and or fire the missiles. Yeah, that's always been, you know, and, and it's never they've launched a missile. It's always that they have, it's almost like they're they're showing you, listen, we have the power to do this. These weapons are not okay. Yep. And it makes me feel safer knowing yeah. that there is a higher power in charge of that than us because yeah. we are irresponsible. We're the worst. We do not think about our actions. We're the fucking worst. Yeah. And so to know that the old guy, I'm not going to say his name, he who shall not be named, had the nuclear codes for this country, knowing that like there was a higher power that could have been like, mm, no, you're not Just launching. Just kidding. That. You're not actually. <laughs> <launching>. That's <laughs> really reassuring. Nice. Yeah. It's reassuring. Yeah. 
Well, there's actually a very famous instance of a test being destroyed. Retired U.S. Air Force Lieutenant Dr. Robert Jacobs was stationed at um, Vanden- Vandenberg Air Force Base. Vandenberg. Vandenberg Air Force Base near Big Sur. It's like right before Vietnam. I want to say it was like 63, 64, something like that. And uh, this is one, again, one such occasion wherein dummy warheads were attached to Atlas rockets and there was a test launch. They were going to test the capability to launch these warheads attached to this particular kind of rocket. Mm -hmm. So the first rockets fired off without a hitch. Lieutenant Jacobs and his team watched from a distance through, you know, a bunch of telescopes and devices, high tech, low tech. They're They're examining this in every possible way that they can at the time. Yeah. The rocket goes through all of its, you know, three stages of incline, no issue, boom, burners burn off, oh, the rock launch pad comes off, you know, all of that shit, right? The rocket keeps screaming across the sky, 12,000 miles per hour, and then this mysterious craft not only catches up to the rocket while it's in flight, but it's also able to, like, dart around the rocket oh, geez. in flight. As though the rocket were not traveling at 12,000 miles per hour. Yeah. It's like the rocket's stationary. Mm -hmm. And this device has not only screamed across the sky and caught up to it, but it flies around it in this weird kind of like zigzaggy pattern like a fly. It's almost like they can control time. Yeah, exactly. And then suddenly the craft emits bright flashes of light that hit the rocket and the craft vanishes and instantly the rocket began to malfunction. It tumbled out of its trajectory, crashed into the Pacific Ocean 100 miles from its intended destination. You've heard this story before on the podcast, so I won't go any further here. My point is just that they're here. They've been here. We're still here. And if anything, they seem dead set on us not being destroyed yeah. one way or to the point where they're shooting down our own fucking missiles mm-hmm. to keep us from doing it to our, ourselves. And before we get to like, it's us, they don't want us. It could just be the planet. They just don't want our planet to be destroyed because the that. more missiles that yeah. we fucking shoot off, the less value our right. planet holds. The actual currency that our planet holds to them has nothing to do with us. We're like the most corrosive, invasive species on the planet, which actually, if you do think that, that's kind of scary because that's how we get wiped out. That's how we get wiped out. But at the same time, they, again, could have done that already. Yes, maybe we hadn't. I'm playing devil's advocate here, but maybe we didn't have enough strikes called against us at that point. Yeah, who the hell knows? You think about like civilizations that like just sort of disappeared and we don't know exactly what happened to them. I mean, the the Mayans were fucking crazy. They were crazy. They were bloodthirsty people. So you think maybe the aliens were like, we can't have this. (laughs) Who knows? Who the hell knows? So personally, I feel great about the fact that they're here and that they're real. That they're yeah. really real, which is really exciting. I feel great about them being here. I feel terrible about who they're going to meet and how Ugh. we will almost certainly handle this very poorly. So the scariest part of horror movies isn't the ghost or the monster or the paranormal set of circumstances. It's how ordinary human beings respond in the midst of all of that terror, yeah. like in The Mist. The Mist. Stephen King. Exactly. As scary as those giant transdimensional man-eating flesh bug monsters are, they are not any more terrifying or dangerous as one crazy Christian lady and her ever-growing throng of ignoramuses. Yeah. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like one cult of personality and a bunch of stupid, fearful fucking person yeah. is a perfect recipe for disaster. That movie has one of my favorite quotes where they say something like, people aren't that stupid. And he's yeah. like, no, 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 no. No. A person a is person. not stupid. People. People. Are frightened 
irrational, reactionary. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So the last four years have shown us all the definition of cognitive dissonance. Uh And the only scary part of this UFO disclosure thing for me is how poorly we are likely to receive and handle any and all of the information that comes our way, regardless of who it comes from. Yeah. People are far more likely to believe some war hawk in a uniform who says they're here to enslave us. So please, Congress, write us another blank check than they are to believe some boring scientist like Dr. Fauci, who has dedicated their entire life to this very process, who lays out a far less dramatic and reactionary scenario and required approach. The drama will sell. The fear will resonate. People will react poorly because their lives and the lives of everybody are just getting progressively worse and worse and worse every Mm -hmm. decade at this point. And it's like a perfect melting pot for a bad response to this very thing. Oh, for sure. Because this thing, you know, uh, aliens are real. The announcement, you know, the press release or the, you know, Biden announcing it, however it's going to happen, is it shouldn't be political. Just like, you know, wearing masks in a pandemic shouldn't be political or like the rights of people of color shouldn't be political. Everything's political. Everything's political. And like, this shouldn't be, this should be like, this should be almost a religious experience for people. This should be, this should be so, I I don't know. This should just change everything. It should change everything about work and school and play and it should change everything. And it will be politicized immediately. It's already happening. Yep. We already see it happening. Oh, I'm going to talk about it. Don't worry. And, um, yeah, it's fucking scary. But when you were saying, like, Dr. Fauci, for example, like, the drama winning over that, like, you think about, like, Dr. Stephen Greer, who's very much so, like, we should not be, we should be welcoming them. The reason they have not come to us is because there's not enough of us who are already accepting what they could bring us. They, they, they need to get a closer sample. They need better research because (laughs) we need to give them, like, a crash course on, like, earthly marketing truly they like, should okay come here's what do you want bunch of lights let me ask them. you i'm gonna sit down with our with them and i'm gonna say all right baby what do you want what do you want anything in the world what do you want let's say i can get you anything in the world what do you want i'm gonna come at them like i'm some hollywood shuckster and they're gonna be like we want planet earth to live in harmony i'll be like yeah you're gonna have to beat us over the head with it yeah. you're gonna have to literally give this planet no choice yeah even if it means that you are like, listen, we have irrefutable proof. They're, you're you're barking matter. up the wrong tree. No, proof we don't is like, lost on we don't these like fucking facts people. Here. We don't like math. We don't like facts. <laughs> Here's what you need to do. You need pyrotechnics. You need oh, celebrity yes. endorsements. ACDC. You need something catchy. You need something really is what's Dua Lipa up to. Yeah. You know, like we need to get a really great PR team to handle this release. Because the human race, I'll be honest with you, probably not worth your time. (laughs) So, but yeah, but But Stephen Greer, you know, that's a perfect, you know, segue here. Stephen Greer, many of the UFO SETI alien figures have warned about the likely governmental response to UFOs and ETs for a long time. And it's all bad. It always involves the usual filtering of information through our news cycle, gives us not only just a few pieces of the greater puzzle, but also twists those disclosures to fit a larger narrative that both benefits the government and also creates an atmosphere 
year that spikes public support for greater militarization because of the quote-unquote threat. Threat. If they have been coming here for at least the 75 years since Roswell, as has been disclosed, we still cannot even come close to approaching their technological prowess and we're all still here. What fucking threat? I know. And you look, watch the videos. What is threatening about any UFO video Nothing. you've ever seen? At any point in time when we have scrambled jets or submarines or aircraft carriers, nothing. Not one bad thing has ever fucking happened to any of our warships that go to intercept them when they come here. Now, I'm not so like peace, love. Like I live on the this universe planet. is fucking yeah. I live made here. So regardless of how lives. I want things to be, I'm also capable of looking at how things are. For sure. So I understand you violate a, a sovereign state's airspace. Mm -hmm. Jets are going to get scrambled. Yeah. We're not necessarily being aggressive by doing that. It's just precaution. Mm -hmm. We've got an unidentified flying aircraft over airspace. It's not supposed to be there. We They're have not communicating to with us when we try to reach them on the radios. Yeah. Send the F-18s, you know? Nothing bad's ever happened. Yeah. Yep. But that line of thinking requires logic. Logic's not only unsexy and boring, it's also bad business. Panic, fear, distrust. That's what adds zeros to Defense Department and Defense Contractor budgets. Yep. Just like the Cold War, just like 9-11, except this time it'll be interplanetary. I can't imagine how many more zeros they'll get to add on to the Defense Department budget. By the simple disclosure that they're here, they're real, and we can't currently keep up with them technologically. That's like fucking blank check city. Just wait for one Republican to get the White House. Yeah. Just one. The next one. In three and a half years. <laughs> so the United States accidentally uh, yeah. learned this in the 1940s. They learned at that time just how much money was to be made in the business of war. It not only lifted out the country out of the greatest economic downturn in its history, but it also turned the U.S. into the world's A number one economy and superpower, and the defense budget has only exponentially skyrocketed ever since. The amount of black money on the Defense Department budgets, the amount of money that cannot be accounted for, that goes into off-the-books, covert, con there's no congressional reproach, they are completely beyond reproach of any kind from any elected official. They are completely operating on their own. This is a subsect of the government that elected officials know better than to fuck with. What if all of the black money is to buy glitter? Ugh. Sorry, it's my new obsession. It is your Where's new the obsession. Where's all the glitter gone? Where's the glitter gone? Talk, we, can, we can chalk that up under mysteries we can put on the back burner for the time being. <laughs> we have more important things That's maybe things not mystery number to. one, two, or three currently. <laughs> we, can, we can wait Speak on- Speak for yourself. Where all the glitter's going. So, Go on. so like I said, I feel great about aliens being here. I feel awful about the fact that we are. I hate the fact that people like Marco Rubio, the fucking Manchurian candidate- will play a prominent role in both public perception and the national response when he says things like anything that enters an airspace that's not supposed to be there is a threat. Yeah. So I guess a child's birthday balloon over the White House by that definition is a threat. Technically. Not supposed to be there. It's just such narrow. I vacillate depending on the individual between whether thinking like, do you actually believe this? Yeah. Well, I... I'm going to go as far as to say that I I don't think it even has to do with which politician. It's the fact that any politician has 
influence in this yeah that you should, they should politicians off. should be literally the literally last, the last fucking people i would rather like the pope literally the last than a politician people. of any of any doesn't matter red blue doesn't matter i want scientists to be talking to me about it it's the same with like covid i want to hear from scientists yeah, i want to hear, hear from, from healthcare workers I don't that's hear, it i don't want to hear from fucking tommy tuberville I don't want to hear from somebody whose credentials to, to be in the Kamala Senate Harris. was I was a college football coach yeah. in the state where I will overwhelmingly win my election. Yeah. I Thanks, just want to hear from the people who know what they're talking about. Yeah. I just want to hear from people zero qualified to talk on the subject. That's like that old Dave Chappelle joke after 9-11 where they're like, we go now to Ja Rule for comment. And it's like, <laughs> I don't want to talk to Ja Rule about this shit. Yeah. I got questions that Ja Rule probably doesn't have the answers to. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I... I don't want to dance. I'm scared to death. That's the actual quote. I hope that the extraterrestrials choose the spokespeople. Like Close Encounters style? Yeah. Where like we get like we get the flashes and we start seeing uh, devils, Mm -hmm. whatever. Devil's Tower in Wyoming. Wyoming. Exactly. I hope that they choose because I trust them again more than I trust us. Go on. Yeah. So, you know, there are countless instances in which... Aliens not only seem like they they are not here to hurt us, but they're actively intervening to ensure that we don't destroy ourselves. Mm -hmm. And, you know, yet at the same time, the most actively violent country on this planet, country who's been in more wars in the last hundred years than any other, whose civilian gun violence outpaces every other country on the planet except for Brazil, we're the people who instantly see danger because I guess we're just conditioned at this point. You know, in spite of all of the evidence to the contrary, we see danger because we're 21st century Americans, baby. You got a problem? Fucking shoot it. Shoot it. Shoot that fucking problem. So life in America right now seems pretty untenable. You know, things have progressively gotten worse and worse over the last 20 years here. And uh, a one hour twirl through a history book will show about 10,000 examples of how the last 20 years here have been played out elsewhere throughout mankind's history time and time and time again. And in almost every single one of those examples, these periods of sharp political divide, dwindling resources, rampant classism, fears of external forces are followed by war, usually of the civil variety. Mm -hmm. And then once weakened by a civil war, the prevailing side has no chance of standing up to outside forces, whether it's the Huns, the Macedonians, the Persians, the Ottomans, you name it. Every great empire falls because of the infighting that led up to the fall. Yeah. So my hope is that our friends from above or elsewhere, wherever you are from, I hope that you can somehow, some way, Help us get backtrack. Backtrack. Back, get us backtrack. Get us backtrack, please. I hope that you can help get us back on track uh, before America becomes just yet another superpower that destroyed itself. Because yeah. it sure looks like we're trending in that direction. I am not at all afraid that they are here. I would, in fact, be a lot more afraid if they weren't. I couldn't agree more. Actually, next week, guys, we are doing an extraterrestrial episode. Me, Lauren, and Caitlin D. Oh, boy. Um, who is a really talented musician and also the host of Got Your Book After Hours. 
she's coming on the show and we're going to be talking about extraterrestrials in a way that we have never talked about them on the show before. And that's sort of the belief that they are here and they are among us. So we're going to be talking about the supposed different races of extraterrestrials, um, how they've influenced people. Also, like the, um, you know what? Just listen it? to the episode. Just listen to the episode. Just what am to I the doing? Episode. What's with the hard sell? <laughs> These people. I know. What did they already I listen? say to you the other day where I asked you a question? You asked me if I wanted to do or take part in something. And I was like, yeah, sure. And you were like, yeah, because, you know, blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, yeah, I'm good. Let's do it. And you're like, yeah, because, you know, because if you did, then, you know, but, and I'm like, why are you still trying to sell me on this? I, I already said yes three I times. I said yes, yes. I want to do it. I'm in. If anything, you're talking uh, me out of it at this point. Yeah. I was just very excited. Anyways, that's all the time we have this week for Keep It Weird. Thank you all so much for listening to our show. And thank you again for allowing me and Joey the week off uh, last week to get over my second COVID dose and spend some time with my sweet baby girl, Gabby. Um, I really can't tell you how much I appreciate it and how Thank you, how much uh, we appreciate your well wishes as well. Thank you as well, Joe, for doing another DJ Jazzy Joe. It's I've been learned a, a lot. I know. Yeah, it's been, it's it's been, been about been, a year. It has. It's been a minute. Mm-hmm. It's good to be back. And I hope you guys learned something too. Do us a huge favor and head over to iTunes and rate our show five stars. Every review counts and also it just makes our day when we get I one. swear to God. What? If I find out that you listen to this podcast every week and you haven't given a five star rating yet, I'm going to find out where you live. Listen. I'm going to toilet paper every square inch of your property. We have thousands of listeners. And I have thousands of rolls of toilet paper. 260 something reviews. It's not fair. Paper. But I understand that you guys listen on different platforms. Like, it's not totally your fault. Yeah, um, but you know how to go on iTunes. But also, Just you know how to iTunes. go on iTunes. Just do it, it. It goes a long way. It does. It really so, does. So do, do your girl Ashley a solid. You got a free 30 seconds. Go on iTunes. Find the podcast. Give it five stars. In case you guys don't know, the first thing people ask like about our show has nothing to do with content or even downloads. They ask, how many followers do you have and how many reviews do you have? And we're like, this does not reflect... This is no our downloads and, and like it I get matter. it. Listen, I go I on the it. internet. 20, I don't like century. leaving I reviews. It. I don't like rating things, which is why I am actively imploring you to do your girls, Ashley and Lauren, a real a big old solid here, and just take thirty seconds. You got thirty seconds. You got thirty seconds. Also, if you have social media, follow us there at Keep It Weirdcast on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, where we post info on upcoming episodes, events, and giveaways. And also, we play games and share memes, and it's just a really good time. It's just a good place to it's be. It's just a really good place to be. If you want to know about ways you can support our show further, aka in a financial way, cha-ching, cha-ching, head over to www.patreon.com/slash Keep It Weird Podcast, where you can donate one, five, or ten dollars to our show once or set it up to donate monthly and it will get you shout outs on the show discounts on merchandise a monthly newsletter and a crap ton of past and present bonus episodes that come out every single month one dollar a dollar a dollar dollar gets you a shout out twelve dollars a year and our 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 never-ending um thanks be a part of something be a part of something be a part of something you can also get yourself a t-shirt, tank top, hoodie, sweatpants, or even a warm blanket in our Etsy store at www.etsy.com slash shop slash keep a weird podcast. I just designed three new shirts and they are the best. They're not out yet, but I'll let you know They're when they are cool. on our social media. I will also be designing my new line of uh, delicate men's intimates Ooh. Uh, or mangerie. 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 So if you're... Are there any thigh highs involved in this? 
Like for like like the dude wears them. Yeah, sure. Why not? Yeah, absolutely. I'm thinking like Tim Curry. Yeah, a lot of like sexy teddies and nineties, and you know, but like you know, with your favorite sports team logo. (laughs) (laughs) You know. Okay, for sure. Yeah, Joey, what's our sign off this week? Oh, Oh, come on! I'm the the no sign off guy. What am I supposed to do? I'm supposed to do the sign off. Well, here's the thing: aliens are here. They're real. Get it through your thick fucking skull. How's that? I mean, aggressive. It's, it's aggressive. aggressive. It's aggressive. I didn't for mean a to talk vibe. to you guys that way. You don't deserve that. You don't. You're really giving you a hard time here at the end of this episode. Yeah. What's going on with me? I don't know. You're really. Do we need yeah. to meditate. Mm, Am I spiraling? Yes. You're spiraling. I think the best thing to do is visit the Reverend Green. Go see Reverend Green. It's not a bad idea. Go see what he's up to. He always Head has over a to way Occidental of Street. mellowing me out. Or Occidental College. Yeah. Just stare at some street lamps. Just stare at some street lamps, right? And keep it weird. Sound check, sound check. One, two, one, two. DJ Jesse Joe in the room. Good. Those are good rhymes. Those are, those, those are really fresh rhymes. Thank I hope, you. I hope my levels look okay. Your levels are low. Are they but, really? But you always get so much louder when we actually record is the thing. Like yeah, you, I do. I guess. This is like the calmest version of you and mm-hmm. then as soon as we record you're like what's up with us hey! and i'm like oh my god oh my god